You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado from our series, The Parables of Jesus, a look at the stories Jesus told and what they mean for us today. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Whitefields. I want to say happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. Dads, you know, you play such an important role in who your kids become and uh, such a huge role in what your kids believe about God and what they know about God. And so we honor you today. We want you to know how important you are and how much uh, we care about you and what an important role you play in your family. So we're glad you've chosen to spend this morning with us. And I'd like you to please open with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. The Gospel of Mark chapter 4. If you use your phone to read the Bible, you can follow along with the Version Bible app and you can go into the menu and the location stuff and you can find our notes. So it's the stuff that's on the screen plus a little bit more. We're currently in a series right now where we're studying Jesus' parables. And you know, one third of all of the teaching that is done by Jesus that's recorded for us in the Bible is in the form of parables, which are short stories, illustrations, which Jesus used to teach important spiritual principles. So each week in the series, we're looking at one or two of Jesus' parables, and we're considering what they mean for us and for how we live today. This series is coming to an end pretty soon. Actually, next week is going to be our final installment of this series. Then we're going to be doing another series in the book of Jonah. You know, a lot of people think Jonah's just a book about a fish. That's all. They get caught up in the fish. We want you to know it's really not so much about the fish. What the story of Jonah is about is about God's mission in the world. And that's what we're going to be talking about in this next series. So that'll be our series for the month of July. So we hope you'll be uh, joining us for all of those as well. Let's begin this morning and read our text, which comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Again, he, that's Jesus, began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no gain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced a grain, growing up, increasing, and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. We're going to go down to verse 14. Jesus explained, the sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path when the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the one who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but they endure for a while. But then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown in the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your heart towards us. Thank you that you love us with the heart of a father, and thank you, Lord, that you are the true father. Remember that this day. 
Lord, as we consider this parable, clearly it's speaking of how we hear your word. And so this morning as we come and we open your word, we study it together, we, we seek to hear it and read it. Lord, we ask that you give us hearts that receive your word and put it to action. Lord, would you help us to be good hearers of your word and help us to consider what these things mean for us and how you want to work in our lives. And we pray, Lord, that you would truly have your way and that you would be Lord over us. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. You know, have you ever noticed that two people can hear the exact same message and yet they'll have a completely different reaction to it. The same message will have a different effect on two different people. Even though maybe they've been sitting in the same room, they heard the exact same thing. But why is that? Why is it that, for example, a group of people in church service can all hear the same message and for some of them it'll be transformative and revolutionary and for others it will seem to have almost no impact on them whatsoever? Here in our text today, Jesus actually answers and addresses that very question. And the way he does it is by telling us a story. That's what he's been doing in each of these installments as we've been looking at these parables. This story is called the the parable of the sower. It's recorded in three different places in the Bible. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 13, uh, Luke chapter 8, and here where we read it this morning in Mark chapter 4. And it's almost identical in each of those places. You know, it takes a lot of skill to craft a good illustration to make your point or a good analogy and some people are better at it than others Jesus by the way was a master at it but you know not everybody's quite as good as he was for example a couple uh, years ago the Washington Post asked high school English teachers to send in the worst analogies that they had read in their students essays so I uh, I got some of my favorites here Uh, these are the worst analogies found in high school students English essays Uh, I like this one it says His thoughts tumbled in his head, making and breaking alliances, kind of like underpants in a dryer without Uh, (laughs) cling-free. Another one, I like this one. Uh, Her hair glistened in the rain, kind of like nose hair after a sneeze. (laughs) The hailstones leaped from the pavement, just like maggots do when you fry them in hot grease. (laughs) The whole scene had an eerie, surreal quality to it, Like when you're on vacation and Jeopardy comes on at six instead of seven. (laughs) This may be my favorite. John and Mary had never met. They were like two hummingbirds who had also never met. (laughs) So anyway, not everyone is good at crafting illustrations, making analogies. Uh, But Jesus was great at it. He was exceptional. And parables were one of the primary ways in which he taught spiritual truths. But you know, a parable is more than just an analogy. A parable is also kind of a riddle, right? Because in order to understand the message of a parable, you need to understand what you might call the interpretive key, right? There's a key to the parable which unlocks the meaning of the parable and enables you to understand the meaning of the parable, right? So once you have that interpretive key, then the parable makes sense. But without the key, you won't be able to unlock the meaning of the parable. The key to this parable is found in verse 14. Jesus had spoken this parable to a large crowd of people. Afterwards, his disciples come up to him and they say, can you explain to us what this means? And Jesus says, yeah, let me give you the key to understand this parable. It's that the the seed represents the word of God. That's in verse 14. So that's the key to understanding this parable. Once you understand that, the rest of the parable makes sense. But without that key, I mean, you could think that this is a lesson about any number of different things. So like you might think that this is uh, just a simple lesson about farming. Like farmers need to be more careful about where they throw their seeds because there's 
they're really wasting a bunch of it, right? Or you could think, what's well, a parable about birds? You need better scarecrows because birds keep coming and they're just going to eat up all your seeds if you don't get rid of the birds. Or you might think that, okay, maybe it's an analogy, but what does the seed represent? Does the seed represent hard work, right? You put it out there, sometimes it bears fruit, sometimes it doesn't. Or represents love, same thing, you put it out there. Or money, you put it out there, sometimes it bears fruit, sometimes it doesn't. Jesus says, no, no, no. Here's the key to understanding the parable. What I'm talking about is the word of God and how people receive it. And what's going on in different people's hearts and how the condition of their heart affects the way that the word of God impacts them and has an effect on them or doesn't as a result of the condition of their heart. The title of today's message is Lessons from the Dirt. And here are three core understandings that we're going to be looking at, which the parable communicates to us, which are important for us to see and to consider for ourselves. So these are three core understandings. Number one, how seeds transform a landscape. How seeds transform a landscape. The second is the most important skill you can have. And the third one is what to do once you know these things. Okay? So let's, let's uh, go through each of these. How seeds transform a landscape. That's the first thing. You know, Jesus used the picture of a seed to describe the word of God. This is actually something that the, the Bible does in other places as well. For example, in 1 Peter chapter 1, it tells us that the word is like a seed. It says, you have been born again, not by perishable seed, but by imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So the word of God is like a seed. Now, here's why that's interesting. Because a seed doesn't seem like something that's very powerful, does it? I, I just seeded my yard again this week. I planted some seeds and I mean, they're, they seem very small. And you almost wonder, how is anything ever going to come up something like this? Like, I really hope the wind doesn't come up and just blow them all away. I mean, they're vulnerable. They're weak. And, and you wonder, why doesn't God use something else to describe his word? Something powerful, like a boulder. A boulder. Like, if a boulder falls on your car, it crushes your car. But if a seed falls on your car, you probably wouldn't even know it. A boulder is big and imposing and powerful. And so you might say, well, why doesn't God say... You know what my word is like? My word is like a boulder that rolls down into your life and it makes a dent and it leaves an impact and it changes the landscape. It's powerful. But instead God says, you know what my word is like? It's like a seed. See, seeds also transform a landscape, but the way that they transform a landscape is different than the way like a boulder or even dynamite changes a landscape. So a a seed is very small, and it, and it does, it seems inconsequential, it seems vulnerable, it seems weak. What Jesus is saying here is that the way that God's transforming the landscape of your life, that God's way of doing that, the way that God is doing his work even in the world, is like a seed, not like a boulder. So think about it, when a boulder hits the ground, it comes smashing in, crashing in, hits the ground, it smashes the ground, it transforms the landscape with force and with violence. But a seed comes in almost subversively, right? So it, it comes in very quietly, very gently. A boulder changes the landscape externally. But a seed goes into the ground and it changes the ground internally from the inside. And for a little while, you wonder if anything is even happening at all. You don't see the effects immediately. A boulder does its work suddenly, but seeds change a landscape gradually. See, a boulder doesn't actually change the land itself. It just breaks the land. It forces it to conform and to change shape. But a seed goes inside and it penetrates. It goes down deep and then it transforms the land by reorienting the elements on the inside below the surface into life-giving processes. 
So whereas a boulder or even dynamite, for example, can cause a superficial dent in a, in a small area, seeds over time can actually completely transform the very nature of a landscape. They can turn a barren piece of land or barren patch of land into a forest or a garden or a farm that's full of life and gives life. So those little seeds over time, here's the point, they actually change a landscape more than a boulder or a dynamite can. So this is uh, how God does his work in our lives. Not like a boulder, but like a seed. It happens by hearing the word of God and the truths of God's word come into you and they take root in your heart and your mind and then they begin to grow and eventually they change the entire landscape from the inside out. Now, first of all, let's clarify. What is he talking about when he talks about the word of God? Well, he's talking about God's message to us. And that refers both to the written word of God and it refers also to the declared word of God, the spoken, the preached word of God. So whether you're reading at home or you're studying here together or you're in a a community group, for example, you're taking in the word of God. And the core message of the word of God is the gospel, Think about this, if, if you were to be asked, how would you define the gospel really succinctly? My hope for us as a church is that you guys would be people who can answer that question very well. And here's what I want you to know. The gospel is the good news of what God has done for us. I'll just stop there. The gospel is the good news of what God has done for us. It's not the news of what you need to do for God. Not at all. It's the good news. It's the proclamation. It's the declaration of what God has done in history For us by sending Jesus to be our Savior, to take our place in death and judgment, and to take our sins upon Himself so that we might be reconciled and saved and given a new identity and a new destiny. It's what God has done for us. So, this, the Word of God, it changes the landscape of our lives over time. When you read it, when you hear it, it's as if, Jesus is saying, it's as if when, those th- when you do those things, when you hear it, when you read it, that seeds are being spread and you are the soil upon which those seeds are follow- falling. So the question is this, what kind of soil are you? What kind of soil are you? Because here's the thing, it could be perfectly good seed, but clearly the, what that seed produces has a lot to do with the kind of soil that it falls upon. So we have to ask ourselves, what kind of soil am I? So, That brings us to our second point. The most important skill, therefore, that you can have and the skill that you should most want to develop and cultivate in yourself is how you hear, how you receive, how you respond to the word of God. That's the most important skill you can have. You know, so surveys have been taken. Maybe you've you've heard this before or read it before. Surveys have been taken which they ask people to say what their greatest fear is, right? So what are you most afraid of? And the top answers are pretty, uh, pretty common. They're always kind of the same. People are afraid of heights. People are afraid of spiders. Then you get the more obscure ones, right? Like some people are afraid of clowns. Uh, some people are afraid of abandonment. I guess that one's not super obscure. But other people are afraid of needles, for example, or they're afraid of pain. And of course, death is always up there towards the top of the list. Like people are afraid of death and dying. But consistently, even more than the fear of death, You know, what is the number one fear that people have? Always, the fear of public speaking. That is not people's number one fear, which means that most people would rather be abandoned by their loved ones and murdered by clowns on the top of a tall building covered in spiders than to have to speak publicly and stand in front of a group of people and and talk publicly. And the reason is 
Because when you're doing that, when you're standing in front of people and speaking publicly, everyone's looking at you and they can see your flaws and they are critiquing you. I mean, that's just how it is. I mean, I do it too. You're probably doing it right now. You're critiquing and judging, right? Like you're, you're like an Olympic judge with your little scorecard. And you're, you're kind of critiquing me, you know? You decide, well, I like this guy or I don't like this guy. It's a nice shirt, but I saw him wear it three weeks ago too, you know? Like uh, I, uh, that thing he said about the rocks earlier, I mean, it was okay. I guess I'll give that a, it was kind of funny. I give it 8.2. But that other joke that he made a few minutes ago, kind of five, he kind of missed the landing. Last week's message, cumulative score, 7.3. And so some people, when they speak, also they have these idiosyncrasies. They say things like, um, or you know. And most of the time, the speaker doesn't even realize that they have these idiosyncrasies. Or, or they talk too fast, or they talk too slow, or they make this clicking noise with their tongue. You ever listen on the radio, you hear these people? They make this thing like, they always do that. Anyway, a, a lot of people aren't even aware of these idiosyncrasies that they have, but the people listening to them pick them up, right? And then you start making notes on your bullets and like a, you make a mark every time they make that weird noise with their tongue or every time they say, um. One time after a service, someone came up to me and said, you said the word right, like right? Uh, you said that 23 times in that message. And uh, that was my idiosyncrasy. I didn't even realize that I did it until we started editing for the radio and I was like, we got to edit these messages because I kept on saying, right? Okay, so uh, now I make a conscious decision not to do it. So my point is this. We all judge preachers. You're probably doing it right now. I probably do it when I'm listening to somebody. But here's the thing that this parable is telling us. And it's something that you might not want to hear, but here's what it is. The parable is telling us this. Okay, you critique the preacher, but instead of critiquing the preacher, now let's talk about you. Let's talk about the hearer. It's time for you to critique yourself. It's time for you to analyze what kind of hearer you are. Because here's the fact, and I'm not trying to abdicate my responsibility, but I want you to know this. 90% of what happens in here, 90% of this message, of any message, is on you. It depends on what you are going to do with it. It depends on what you are going to do with that information, with that truth that is presented. What you do with the seed, that's 90% of it. Right, so it's kind of funny. Last Saturday... I told my wife that the sermon I had prepared for the next day, for Sunday, I told her this is just my worst sermon ever. Like, this is just the worst. And uh, as usual, she rolled her eyes at me uh, because it's not the first time I've said that. And she told me, you know what? what do you, it doesn't need to be a brilliant oratory. It just needs to be the Word of God. Just go out there and give them the Word of God. That's what they're there for. They're not even there to really listen to you. Well, she's absolutely right. I taught that message last week. And oddly enough, I got just a ton, like overwhelming amount of feedback this past week from people who were saying, wow, God spoke to me through that message. I'm like, wow. You know, sometimes just the opposite happens. Like, I think my sermon is awesome, and I'm the only one who thinks that, right? Like, <laughs> like I think I've got some good points. I've got some awesome illustrations. But I don't get that same feedback that, man, God really spoke to me through it. Either I'm a really bad judge of what a good sermon is, or else there's another dynamic going on. And clearly there is the other dynamic going on. It's the reason why two people can be sitting in the same row, listening to the same message, hear the same biblical truth. And for one of them, they walk away saying, God spoke to me, that was life-changing, that's transformative. Another person in the other row uh, hears it and yawns and then starts playing Candy Crush and goes to the bathroom for the second time. Right? And it has absolutely no impact on them whatsoever. Because 90% of every message is on the hearer. See, the preacher can pray and, and study and prepare and do their best, but that's only 10% of, of the dynamic that's going on. 90% is, 
How are you going to receive it? What are you going to do with it? Even the most mediocre sermon in the world, for the person who comes expecting and waiting and wanting to hear a message from God's word, when they receive it and they take it in and and they put it into practice like fertile soil and they begin to apply those principles in their lives, that seed will have its effect and it will do a life-giving, transformative work. You know, it's interesting. He describes what happens when the seed goes into this good soil and he says, well, it has you know, these, these crazy results. I'll read it to you because he says, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Now, again, I mentioned this to you a couple weeks ago. I'm not a farmer. I don't know anything about farming, but I know some people who know things about farming. And here's what I've learned about farming most recently is that, you know, having a crop, like a really good crop, you ever get a bumper crop is like twice what you usually get? You ever get one that's maybe, like if you're really lucky, you get like 10, 10 times what you usually get? But in the history of the world, has anybody ever gotten a 30-fold? Like they get 30 times out of the, their crop than they usually get, or 100 times? I mean, that's a lot. So he's saying this is just a crazy fruit. This is crazy productivity. It's abnormal. It's, it's huge. And we're saying that's the kind of effect that happens when you take in the Word of God like that, and, and you're receptive to it, and you take it in with that kind of heart and put it into practice. He says it does a life-giving, transformative work, much bigger than you would have ever imagined. The Bible says that faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. It also says this, How will people call on the name of Jesus if they don't believe? And how can they believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how can they hear about him unless somebody tells them? In other words, the primary skill of the kingdom of God is hearing. It's listening. It's receptivity. Now, someone's going to ask, well, all right, but what about deaf people? They can't hear, right? I know some of you probably texting me that right now. When it comes to hearing, I want you to understand, this is referring to all modes of of, and ways of taking in the Word of God. So whether you listen to it, whether you read it, whether it's in sign language, whether you read it in Braille, the point is, how do you receive it and what do you do with it? So the most important skill you can have, the skill that you most want to develop and cultivate is how you hear, how you receive, and how you respond to the Word of God. In this parable, Jesus gives us some examples of what to watch out for so that we can hear well, so that God's Word will have its maximum effect in our lives. So number one, beware of listening with a hard heart. Beware of listening with a hard heart. Now, lest any of you start to think, because the easiest thing to do when you hear this parable is to say, I know somebody like that. I wish he was here, but he's not. But I'm going to make sure that I keep him in mind when I'm listening to this. No, no, no. I want you to understand, Jesus is not speaking to you to think about somebody else. He's speaking to you to think about you, okay? So beware of listening with a hard heart. What does it mean to listen with a hard heart? I would say, let's think about it this way. It's like listening with your intellect only. Listening with your intellect only in a a detached kind of way. So a seed can't germinate unless it penetrates below the surface. And here's what that means. It means that it's possible to be in contact with the word of God, but for that contact to be purely superficial, to be surface level only. You can have contact with the word of God regularly. You can come to church You can listen to Christian radio, you can read Christian books, you can memorize the creeds, and yet if those truths never personally penetrate your heart, they will not have any effect on you. There are some people who only think about Christianity on a detached theoretical level. It never goes deeper than that. And what that means is that it's possible to go to church and not be a Christian. Do you know that it's possible to go to church and not be a Christian? I was reading a biography this week of Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a British pastor in the mid-20th century in London. And one of the things I found most interesting about him was that he grew up 
going to church. And he was a very moral person, very good moral person. He never went through any kind of rebellious period like some people do where he rejected Christianity or turned his back on his faith. But at age 25, uh, he had just finished going through medical school. He had gotten his license. He was working as a medical doctor. And, you know, he was a very disciplined, uh, studious person. He had studied and become a medical doctor because he wanted to help people. I mean, so this isn't like a, this is like a pretty upstanding person. And so at age 25, though, he came to this surprising realization that even though he had grown up going to church, even though he was a good person, so to say, and he believed that the Bible was true, Yet at the same time, he realized that he had never really embraced the gospel as being true for him personally. He had this superficial relationship with Christianity where he knew all the stuff, but it hadn't ever sunk in personally. And it was at age 25 when he says that he finally understood the gospel for the first time for real, and he was converted. And he said, for many years, I thought I was a Christian when in fact I was not. See, there's a difference between knowing all the stuff about Christianity, about the Bible, There's a difference between knowing all this stuff and really embracing it personally, embracing the gospel personally, letting it penetrate your heart and truly trusting in and relying on and clinging to Jesus and what he did for you. And so for Martin Lloyd-Jones, this was a turning point in his life. He decided to leave the medical profession and become a pastor. And he said that as a pastor, because of this experience of having grown up in church and realizing after a while that he was in church but he wasn't a Christian, he said he never made that assumption about anybody that just because they attended church that they were a Christian. So here's the first test. Have you ever come under the personal power of God's truth? Some people might call that conviction. The message of God's word is supposed to get down into your heart. And when that happens, it moves you and you you begin to no longer see Christianity as theoretical. You begin to see it as personal. Has there ever been a time when the word of God, you heard it or you read it and you felt like you were waking up from a sleep and you were finally seeing the truth that had always been there but now you saw it for for what it was and it had your name on it. And it wasn't just true in theory but it was true for you personally and you said, I need this. This is talking about me. Let me ask you, has the word of God thrilled you? Have you been amazed by it? Has it ever moved you? One person I heard put it this way. He said, Have you ever felt that the word of God had you by the throat and was lifting you off the ground? Have you ever felt that it was coming right at you personally? If not, then maybe you've been listening to the word of God with a hard heart. Remember, it has to penetrate below the surface, down into your heart in order to do its work. The message of the gospel isn't just true in general. It's true for you personally. Secondly, beware of listening with a shallow heart. This one's kind of the opposite of the first one. Unlike the hard soil, this soil is very soft. The only problem is it has no depth. And so the seed goes in and it shoots up really quickly. You know those weeds that grow in the cracks in your driveway? I have those. You know, so like it'll rain one day and the next day it'll get hot. And then you walk outside and you would be like, where'd that come from? Like that wasn't even there yesterday and now it's a foot tall. But you try to pull it out of the soil and it comes right out. All, all in one, root and all. Because the roots don't go very deep at all. They have no depth. There's nowhere for them to go. And some people, this is the way that they respond to the word of God and to the gospel. They're super excited, right? Emotional response, tears, mucus, all of it. But it doesn't last. It's a flash in the pan, a big flame. It it doesn't last. I had this one pastor friend and he jokingly told me, he said, you know, whenever somebody comes up to me after, after service and says, that was the greatest thing I've ever heard. I'm so happy, you know, this and that. And he says, I take a really good look at their face because I'll never see them again. And, and that's kind of 
what Jesus is talking about here. This is a person who gets very excited about Jesus. They've, they've gone beyond just the theoretical. They've accepted that the gospel is not only true, but it's true for them personally. And they're moved by it and they're embraced by it. And they embrace it. But as time goes by, then suddenly you, you don't see them around anymore. And you, you call them up and you say, hey, what's going on? And they say, um, well, you know, I gave Christianity a shot, but it didn't work for me. Jesus says, it's like the shallow ground. And when the seed falls on it, it grows up quickly. But because it doesn't have roots, when the sun comes out, it can't take the heat. That's the key here. It can't take the heat. So when troubles or suffering comes into their life, they say, well, then what use is Christianity? What use is Jesus to me if, if I still have all these problems in my life, if God isn't going to give me the things that I'm asking for or praying about? See, a lot of people like this came to Jesus. We see a lot of this in the Gospels. People who came to Jesus really excited. And then Jesus responded to them in a really surprising way. He's kind of like a Debbie Downer type of thing. You know, like, like, for example, in Luke chapter 9, it says that some people had heard Jesus speak and they came up to him and one of them said, Master, I will follow you wherever you go. And what did Jesus say? Did he say, sweet, awesome, great, sign this guy up before he changes his mind? Not at all. You know what Jesus said to him? He said, Hey, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Like, I wanted to follow you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, I don't know. He kind of throws a wet blanket on him. It's like, come on, Jesus, what are you doing? I mean, here's this guy who wants to follow you. Why would you discourage him from following you? Why wouldn't you encourage him? Another time, a rich young man with powerful political ties. Just the kind of guy you want on your team. He comes and he wants to follow Jesus and Jesus tells him, Sure, yeah, you can follow me. But uh, how about first you go home and you sell all your stuff and you give all the money to the poor? And it says that the man was very sad and he walked away. Jesus never told anybody else to do that, right? Like this wasn't like a normal requirement for following Jesus. Why would he say it to this guy? I mean, isn't this the guy you want on your team? This guy's got connections. He can pull strings. He knows people in high places. Why isn't Jesus bending over backwards to say yes to this guy who wants to follow him? Well, here's why. Because with these people, he could tell that they were coming to him for the wrong reasons. They hadn't really thought this through. Their commitment wasn't really to him. They were really kind of looking to him to do something for themselves. They weren't really committed to him. And so he says, you know, it, it's just kind of a matter of time before this person is going to fall away. And it isn't that he doesn't just says, oh, well, then fine, go away because you're going to fall away anyway. No, it's just, just as telling them, I want you to pause. Take a second. I want you to really consider, why are you doing this? Don't just get caught up in the emotion of this. And I love that about Jesus. He's not trying to manipulate anybody emotionally. He's not pulling on heartstrings. He's not doing anything that where somebody could say, well, I was just caught up in the moment. No, Jesus says, well, then take a break. Take a second. He says, no one builds a tower without counting how much it's going to cost. You should do the same. I want you to really think about this. I want you to think about why you want to follow me. I want you to think about what are you really getting yourself into. I don't want you to be that seed that falls in the shallow ground and springs up quickly, but then it doesn't last. So I want you to be in this for the long haul. You know, the thing is, a lot of people come to God looking for a blesser, but not a savior, but not a king. They want help, but not salvation. They view Jesus as a service provider. And as long as the service is, meets their expectations, then they're happy. But if not, then they'll walk away, cut that cord. And that shows what? It shows that what they're really worshiping is not God himself, but it's what they are trying to use God 
in order to get. In other words, God for them is not the end in itself. It's a means to some other end. They view God as useful, but not as beautiful. They haven't given God kingship over their lives. They haven't truly come to grips with the depth of their sin and how desperately they need a savior. Otherwise, they would say, no matter what happens to me in life, no matter what difficulties, how could I ever turn my back on you who have saved my soul? You who have promised me an eternal kingdom of joy and glory. No difficulty in life could ever turn me away from that. In fact, just the opposite. The difficulties of this life would make me want to desire it more and cling to it more desperately than ever before. Here's the third example. He says, beware of listening with a divided heart. So a divided heart, that's the third one. So unlike the first two groups, uh, where you could say, okay, those people clearly walked away like they are not Christians. You look at this third group and you say, well, these people actually are Christians, right? They have roots that go down. They're alive. They're just not fruitful. Okay, that's the key. The problem is they're unfruitful. They're weak because they're surrounded by weeds. Like it's too crowded in there, in their heart, in their mind. They're, the weeds are choking them and holding them back and preventing them from being healthy and strong and fruitful. So they're alive, but they're surviving. They're not thriving. because They're being choked out by all this stuff. This soil speaks of those people who, who worship God, but they also worship a lot of other things. Their hearts are crowded with a lot of junk that isn't helping. In fact, it's just choking out their relationship with God almost to the point of death. They aren't experiencing God's power in their lives. They aren't growing. They aren't changing. See, they believe they know too much to ever walk away, right? Like they, they can't just walk, they will never just walk away or turn their back on their faith. But the vitality of it is being choked out of their spiritual life by the weeds that are growing up alongside the good seeds. This speaks of the person who hasn't given God lordship over their, every area of their life. And as a result, their spiritual growth is stunted. This is the person who believes they're committed to following Jesus but they're doing things that they themselves know are not right in God's eyes. They have a divided heart. And usually, this person's the most miserable of all. I remember back in the day, they always used to say this phrase, you know, that you got too much of the world to, to enjoy the Lord, and you got too much of the Lord to enjoy the world. You're just kind of divided, torn in two directions. You got all this junk in your life that you think is, is going to be fun and enjoyable, but in reality, just preventing you from experiencing vitality and joy and health and fruitfulness in your life. So be careful of having a divided heart, that crowded heart that's crowded with weeds that hinder the transforming work of God in your life from being all that it could be. So the third thing, the final point here is this, what to do once you know these things. So a couple of years ago, I decided I want to get in better shape. This is back before I moved to the U.S. I want to get back in uh, better shape, right? Like, so I'd wanted to get in shape for a while, but I hadn't actually done anything about it. Like I looked for diets, but I looked for those kind of diets that tell you to just eat whatever you want, right? Like uh, this is diets, uh, eat a bunch of bacon and high-calorie foods. And I was like, perfect, I'm going to do that. I followed that diet to a T. I never read the book. I assumed that I was following it, right? So I looked for those diets to say, just eat whatever you want. And then I did, and uh, nothing changed. And, you know, I didn't want to work out because well, I thought, well, I, I'm not, I might be allergic to working out because every time I do it, my face turns red, I start breathing hard, and I get all sweaty. So it sounds like an allergic reaction to me. So I was like, I'm not going to do that. And then nothing changed, of course, right? And so also I have these friends who are really into the dieting books. The thing about dieting books is you can read them every single day. But unless you act on them, 
nothing's going to happen, right? Like, that's what some of my friends did. They read the dieting book more than once, but they never acted on it. So you can read the Bible in that way, too. You can even do it with just the passage that we just read. You can read this passage and say, hmm, very interesting. I took some notes, good stuff. All right, I'll see you later. And then just walk out of here and do absolutely nothing about it. Or you could take action. So let me give you a couple action points that come straight out of this message. The first action you want to take based on this message is, is found in the parable. And, and that's this. Put yourself in places where you can be receiving the seed of God's word. So put yourself intentionally in places where you're receiving the seed of God's word. So uh, you're here, and that's awesome, but don't make this the only place where you spend time in God's word. I want you to go home. I want you to read your Bible. I want you to join a Bible study group. Listen to audio messages on the radio or or podcasts. Plant, Plant those seeds in your mind and in your heart constantly. You know, it may not always seem like it's having uh, an effect or making much of a difference right away, but that shouldn't surprise you. That's exactly how seeds always work. Over time, it will transform you. The next thing is this. Don't handle God's word on a detached intellectual level only. Let it penetrate your heart and ask God to break up the fallow ground, the hard heart, the hard ground in your heart. And next, give God kingship over your life. Don't look to him merely as a service provider, as one who can bless you and help you, but see him as your savior and make him your king. And finally, on that last point, uproot those things from your life that are like weeds, that are not helpful. They're just taking up space and and using up resources and choking out the vitality of your spiritual life, causing you to be unfruitful and weak and not to grow. Uproot those things from your life. But most importantly, embrace the gospel. Embrace the gospel. Take it in. Let it sink down deep into your heart. The message of the gospel is this. It's that you and me, we are more broken and sinful than we ever dared to imagine. But we're more loved by God than we ever dared to dream. And he showed that love for us in the ultimate way by giving his life for ours on the cross of Calvary. He took our curse upon himself so that we could be saved and justified and made new. And today I pray that you would see in the gospel the love of your heavenly Father, not in a detached intellectual way only, not just in a shallow emotional way, but that you would receive it with your whole heart and that it would produce in your life good fruit 30 times, 60 times, 100 times over for your good and for God's glory. Amen? Lord, we thank you for your work in our lives. And Lord, I I pray, first of all, Give us patience, Lord, to remember that your work is done like a seed planted in the ground. Lord, may we be those who are receptive soil for your word. And give us patience as your word does its work that we might look back at some point later on and see, wow, the whole landscape of my life has changed because I took in the seed of God's word and it transformed the landscape. Lord, we pray that that would be true of all of us. Lord, I pray for anybody here who says, you know, some of those things describe me, absolutely. I struggle with some of those things. I struggle with having a divided heart. I struggle with having kind of a shallow uh, relationship with God where I look to him as a service provider rather than a king. Or maybe they say, you know, I really struggle with taking these messages personally. I just kind of deal with them purely intellectually. Lord, in each of these areas, Lord, would you please do that work? You are the gardener. We're the soil. Lord, would you make us the kind of soil that receives your word and produces much fruit for your glory? And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. 
For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.